Hello and welcome to Cloud Automation Weekly. My name is Thorsten Höger and I'm here to talk about automating your AWS cloud infrastructure. Today I'm joined by Matthew Bonick to talk about CDK and step functions. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks great for having me. For folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I am the chief cloud architect at a MSP in Charlotte, North Carolina. Our business is based around helping customers adopt AWS technologies. We manage infrastructure, we manage security, their observability, their automation, uh, helping them get their products deployed into AWS environments as quickly and easily as possible. And then as well as that, on the side, I am also the head of community for Monada, a startup based out of Tel Aviv. That sounds great. Maybe we can talk about this a little bit later. Yes. So um, as I said, you're a big fan of step functions. Huge so fan. I love them. Maybe you, you want to yeah, introduce a little bit what are step functions for people who hear it for the first time. Absolutely. So Step Functions is an AWS managed service for creating state machines. And those state machines are capable of doing a wide array of different automations around orchestrating patterns. So if you need to process orders, if you need to coordinate the various API calls across either AWS services or other types of services, uh, building simple Lambda functions for doing this often becomes very problematic after a certain scale. Uh, state machines and step functions is a great way of building those automations that provides not only a great level of observability into what's happening, but also some really great replayability and just a much better dev experience for people who may not want to sit there and write a 500 line long Lambda function. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Um, so especially um, if it's long running and you hit the, the limitations of Lambda with the execution time. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we use them over at Defiance for a number of activities from things like doing uh, QA database snapshot restoration processes to reset a QA environment for testing to resetting passwords in various systems to all sorts of little one-off types of automations that we need to provide to our users so that we don't have to sit there and either do it ourselves or we don't have to train them on how to use uh, a new application or an AWS service. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Yeah, I have one customer project where I'm, yeah, if people register for a course, I'm sending them reminders that they didn't confirm the registration after 24 hours, 48 hours, and that's using step functions too, which is, yeah, I don't have to pay for waiting. Exactly. So, yeah, we, we tackle a little bit. So when and why would we use them? So, and why not to use them? Well, I would say with the recent changes they did last year, as far as opening up step functions to natively support the thousands of AWS API calls, its ability to call Lambda functions, and the general flexibility of a state machine in general, there's actually pretty few cases where you maybe shouldn't use them. I would say uh, the cases where you shouldn't are going to be uh, high velocity situations where you may not want to be paying for step functions to be executing thousands of times a minute. Uh, there is a cost to step functions that usually revolves around the number of state changes you make when you're talking about a standard uh, step function. 
And those things can add up. You know, you wouldn't want to put this behind probably an API gateway that is going to be servicing calls to a database. But if you've got these sort of timed processes, cron jobs, or things where, as you said, you know, something starts and then you have to wait around for potentially days, weeks, or months at a time before you take the next step, Step Function is a great fit for those sorts of things. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Um, yeah, I think basically if you have a script or a, a Lambda function that's only calling AWS APIs, there's a high chance you can remove parts of this or move parts of this into Step Function. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just coordinate, coordinating Lambda functions. I even heard about people, so whenever you run a Lambda function on an event, wrap it in a Step Function that's only doing one call. And then from there, you can go on, do error handling there, do retries there, do whatever you want to do next in, in your thing in step function instead of putting all this in your Lambda function. Yeah, definitely. It helps you get into that single responsibility principle of good software design by keeping your Lambda functions in that single responsibility and allowing those things that are side effects or additional steps to be put into a system like step functions where it's very easy to understand what's happening within a system. Uh, Lambdas, after two or three things that they're trying to do, become extremely hard to debug and to understand and to especially replace certain things. Yeah, and it's so easy to yeah let a Lambda retry until it succeeds in step function. So like, yeah. try this forever. Just, it, it will work eventually. <laughs> Exactly. There's actually a really good example of a, a really fantastic use case for step functions within the control tower customizations add-on for control tower, where if you want to extend the functionality of control tower, you go grab this vendor template from AWS. That's this customizations. But one of the problems with the current state, and this was sort of just resolved in the last day or two with control tower, is that often making changes to control tower across multiple accounts and across organizations within your landing zone uh, requires only one thing occur at a time. So if you're onboarding, say, 15 accounts into an organization, uh, you have to be careful about not trying to do more than one thing at a time. If you've ever done this through ClickOps, you have to sit there and hit a button within the control tower and then wait for 15, 20 minutes for the thing to get done and then go back and hit another one. So the way they worked around this in the control tower customizations is they orchestrated all of this in a very complex step function that has retries and loops and maps and all these other things in there that makes it actually a fairly simple process to get done. Uh, it's an a, a step function I'd never want to try to develop myself or debug myself, but I'm glad that it's there and it solves a very complex problem within the AWS ecosystem and it does it fairly well. Yeah, that's a really good good thing. Um, I'm also using it in, in Control Tower for one customer where we, yeah, we, we create a group in the identity provider when we create a new account and then we have to wait until it eventually shows up in identity centers. And this is where, yeah, I'm just pulling in, so, so, so in step functions, I'm pulling for this group to be there. And the moment a group shows up, I can continue, create the assignments, assign accounts and permission sets to this group and so on. But I can only do this if it's there. And that's why I'm using step functions because it, it could take days for, um, for the team to add this group because it's a manual process. Yeah, you asked about you know good places to use it. If you start coming up with a process that requires a poll in there somewhere, you're probably going to want to use step functions to do it. 
Yes, sounds like a really interesting thing. So what are step functions? Is it something that you can only design using the, the web console or is there a technical readable version of it? Well, so the step functions themselves are all at the core defined by the Amazon state language or ASL, which is a big JSON file that defines all of the states that you have within your state machine, how those states transition from one to another, conditions, inputs, outputs, and just generally the overall definition. Uh, last year, they released the Workflow Studio for it, which makes actually creating these from the UI a very nice experience. Uh, they've made improvements to that UI over the course of the last year to make it even easier and better to not only create these workflows, but understanding what's happening when they execute. Uh, but if you are CDK people like you and me, you're probably also want the option of creating these in a programmatic way in which the CDK provides you a number of L2 constructs that you can use to build out your step function state machines within uh, a standard programming language like uh, a TypeScript or JavaScript or any of those CDK languages. And then add on top of that some really cool work being done in the computer uh, in the community by functionless and Sam Goodwin. And now you've got this really cool uh, process where you can actually create your step functions using normal TypeScript language. And they run some incredible magic that turns that into ASL, which is going to be a really exciting thing to see move forward in the future to uh, really open up state machines to more use cases and more people to use without having to know the you know inherent complexity that comes with the state machine. Yeah, that's um, also um, really interesting. Yeah, at the moment, I would say experiment. Yeah, yes. generating um, these step functions from TypeScript code by transpiling not to JavaScript, but to ASL, mm -hmm. which is, by a funny coincidence, the same thing the AppSync team is trying for their resolvers now. So they are moving, create, writing TypeScript and then transpiling it into VTL. So maybe fantastic. TypeScript Maybe TypeScript is the, the language of the future and it transpiles to whatever you need. <laughs> it, that does seem to be the way TypeScript is going. You know, it's, it's that now that sort of source language to turn into a bunch of other things. And I think that's a testament to uh, how well the language was designed and how flexible it was designed and how uh, parsing that uh, AST and understanding what people wrote is sort of a native feature of the language and not something that just comes as an afterthought with, like it does with a lot of other languages. So it makes that transpiling a much easier thing to do. We saw that when we were writing the CDK book and we were trying to translate our example code into other languages. Uh, you know, because we were writing it all initially in TypeScript, that, that path forward was actually pretty easy for us. Now we ended up leveraging uh, JSII Rosetta to end up doing that. But if we hadn't, then actually TypeScript would have given us a lot of functionality out of the gate for it. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's um, an interesting way into the future because to say, yeah, maybe JavaScript or TypeScript is not fast enough to be the runtime for that function or a resolver in AppSync. Because yeah, ASL and VTL are the faster ways to run your code, but for writing code, TypeScript is the easier way. And then yeah, transpiling one to the other is a good trade-off for developer experience and end user experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
but the programmatic way also sounds interesting. So it's basically a builder pattern where you say, I want an invoke, and then this function, then this function, then this function, then branching out. So you describe your state machine yeah, in code, and it creates your um, ASL definition on the fly in C. Yeah, right. So like most things in the CDK, it's about creating objects. Those objects are chained together through a very common programming paradigm, I guess you could call it, of this, this chainable function. I create this thing and then I call additional functions on it to really define what the next steps are in the process. Uh, personally, I've never uh, found that to be a very effective way in building out my state machine simply because I actually really like the workflow studio when I'm building out my workflows. I like to start there because it allows me to more easily visualize and plan what I want my step function to do. Uh, and then there's the hard part of getting that ASL definition from the workflow studio back into my CDK code, because ultimately I still want the CDK to own the application of that ASL and the, the provisioning of those state machines across all my multiple environments, whether it be one or 11. Yeah, and all the resources that are used in your ASL, like Dynamo tables, Lambda functions that are invoked, all the resources you interact with are coming from CDK. Exactly. I see what you mean. So I'm switching back and forth between both with ASL being my go-to. If I write a business process, I use the ASL in Workflow Studio and create it there. If I'm using step functions to yeah, create things, so easy scripts that are highly dynamic, what they should do, I use the builder patterns because it's easier in CDK to do conditional generation of what this step function will do. Like, oh yeah, you have se several inputs in your options and then it's doing one one thing or the other and generating completely different state machines based on input parameters to your construct. So I think that that's the thing. If, if you have a then if you don't know what a step function will look like in the beginning of using the, the construct, the programmatic way has its benefits. If you know what you're building, the ASL is the yeah, more stable way to build it. Right. I mean, we get the benefits uh, of what the CDK ultimately is, which is at the end of the day, the CDK is, is a generation framework. Its job is to take things that you've written in TypeScript and generate something from that. In the CDK, that's generating CloudFormation. In these, at this particular scenario, that's generating ASL. With Progen, that's generating files within a repository. With the CDK for Terraform, that's generating Terraform definitions. So all the power that comes with having a very robust, very easy to use generation framework now applies to our ASL as well. So while you probably, I've never run across a case where I've had to define a workflow that would vary a little bit from environment to environment with the states that were defined. I have that option. I have that ability to do that using the CDK now, which is a very, very powerful feature. Yeah, definitely one option is I'm I'm not using the um, control tower customization framework because I want to use CDK. So I'm basically building my own customization framework in CDK. And it's creating some kind of these magic step functions in the back end. But depending on all the settings you had in your CDK definition, like I want email handling, I want group management, I want SSO, I want this and I want that or not. And then it's generating the step function based on these inputs and having some parts of it or not. And that's why I'm generating parts of the step function. Yeah. 
something you couldn't really do any other way. Not easily. It, it would have been a lot of conditions in the set functions that's never executed, which is mm -hmm. also, uh, yeah, maybe um, we, we can also um, put something on the wish list here and send it over to the set functions team. Mm -hmm. I love Workflow Studio, but why does it work on an instance of a workflow and not on an ASL definition file? So why can't I just open Workflow Studio in VS Code on my JSON file? Why do I need a deployed step function to edit it? Yeah. That's the thing. So it would really be great to just be an editor for your ASL files. Yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, with with the web and desktop being kind of uh I don't want to say ubiquitous, uh interchangeable so much anymore. I would think that getting a VS code plugin for doing these things would be fairly trivial at this point. Yeah, then I could stay in my CDK code and say, oh yeah, this ASL file here is having my, my state machine in it. So I'm opening this as a new file type, editing it instead of deploying it, going into the AWS console, changing it in Workflow Studio, going back and then replacing again the concrete references to, to my resource. Yeah. And I would say we could take you know, a wish list would be take that one step further rather than have the Workflow Studio plugin in VS Code generate ASL, have it just generate the CDK code right there for me. That would be an option to creating gen uh, CDK code. The thing is, it should be both ways. So if you change your CDK code, it should be able to understand this. And there's so many ways to write TypeScript code. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That could be very it's difficult. It's to reason about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, a good thing that yet you can do to extract some variables is if you deploy a state machine using CloudFormation or using the L1 in, in CDK, you can provide um, your ASL file and a map of string replacements so or variables that you use in your JSON definition. So your JSON definition can contain things like, this is my Lambda function one. And then when deploying, you say, use this JSON file, but please replace Lambda function one with the ARN of this concrete Lambda function. So right. you can extract parts of it and yeah. Now the shame is, is that currently as it stands, the L2 construct doesn't really expose that underlying functionality. So it's actually one of these rare cases where the L1 has some functionality in it that the L2 doesn't. So I'm curious how you've worked around this, how you have maybe uh, tried to implement these things. Because it sounds like like me, you like working with the ASL, you like working with the Workflow Studio, but how do you get that back into your CDK code then? Yeah, so I was um, thinking about different ways to solve it. And as I said, the L2 is very focused on the using TypeScript or using your CDK language to, to create um, your state machine instead of using ASL. So what I'm doing is basically using the L1 and creating the state machine and then creating, importing the JSON file and then creating all these overrides. But to prevent yeah, doing this manually, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm having a script running that's looking into my ASL file, reasoning about it, say, okay, this is the file. These are the variables that are in there. These are the types of the variables because if it's in an invoke Lambda function task and it's the ARN field, I know that it's the ARN of a Lambda function. It's not magic what this variable means. And then I'm generating an L2 construct on the fly that I can instantiate. And it already exposes an interface like, please give me the Lambda function as an I function. 
and then it automatically does the mapping to use the ARN of this provided function, create the value replacement, and also automatically add or yeah, call the grant invoke on the IAM role for the state machine because I need to have the permission to invoke this Lambda function if I put it in an override or in, in an ASL. So this is things I can reason about when looking at the ASL and generate a CDK class out of it that I then can use in my CDK application. Interesting. So uh, I've taken, I tried to solve the same thing, but taking a kind of a reverse approach to it, where instead of reasoning about the ASL, I say kind of, no, that's not my job. My job is to simply take the functions you've already created and set the ARNs in the ASL accordingly. So how can you, so how would you envision a scenario where maybe you need to have a state machine that has uh, a Lambda function defined in it or Lambda function being called, but maybe that Lambda function is actually shared across a couple of different states for various reasons. Would it try to create a new Lambda function each time? No, it doesn't create the other resources. So it creates okay. a construct and the properties interface it's creating contains all the I function and I table fields. So the user of the generated construct needs to provide, this is my Lambda function one, this is my Lambda function two, this is my DynamoDB table. But as Ooh. L2s, instead of, please give me a string for whatever I need here. And it's doing the permission management and uh, security group. So how do you, it sounds like you would need to generate an interface. How would you do that? That's exactly why I'm creating code. So I'm creating a file, have, creating the code, the L2 code, and creating the interface code. It's basically the same progen is doing with Lambda functions. Whenever you put a TypeScript file .lambda.ts, it's creating yes. a new class that is a function and it's just containing one Lambda function resource. And it's exactly the same I'm doing with a step function. So it's creating a new class extending construct that's creating an IAM role, an L1 state machine, and then loading the provided JSON file and doing all these replacements in it, granting some IAM permissions, and that's it. Gotcha. So if I understand it right, what I would be seeing then as a as a user of this construct would be I have my ASA, ASL file that I got any which way I want to, whether it be from Workflow Studio, I wrote it by hand, whatever. I drop that into my repository. I run Progen. Progen then is going to detect that ASL file, scan through it, figure out what kind of state tasks I'm using, like executing a Lambda, executing a table or running a query against a DynamoDB table, doing an SES call, whatever it may be, and generate out an interface file that has all those things strongly typed so that when I go and I have to start providing these values to my state machine, it's all nicely st typed strongly. I, I can't really screw things up then at that point. Exactly. So when using this construct, you would then say new my fancy step function, your scope, your ID, and the properties object has please provide lambda function one, two, three, and a table. I think you just made my state machine construct redundant and archaic by comparison. Let, let, let's see. Let, maybe we, we can join forces and, and make it make it a good way, get it into Progen and get a step functions team to notice it and like it. <laughs> 
I would love that. Like, uh, we should definitely talk about trying to get this in progen natively. I mean, we can, I think, build it outside to start and then submit it into it because that Lambda functionality that you mentioned is one of my favorite features of progen, not just because it saves me two minutes worth of work, but because if I'm a construct developer trying to publish and distribute a lambda, a construct that has a Lambda underneath of it, especially if that Lambda is a TypeScript Lambda, this was a pain in the butt for a long time because I had to build in all these additional compile steps or all these different conditionals because natively it only wanted to ship JS files, but I kind of wanted to ship the TypeScript file and you know this progen change so they would build into the compile process, all of that for me, immediately as a third-party construct builder, saved me countless amounts of, of pain and stuff. And I think this could be a, a fantastic addition to that same mentality of let Progen do what Progen does well, which is generate files in your repository. I, I think that that's, it, that's a way to bridge the gap between, yes, I want to use constructs, but I cannot do this dynamically. So we generate constructs from other already existing specifications. The same is true for open API definitions for API gateways. We can mm -hmm. the open API specification and generate a construct containing an HTTP API that knows about all the paths and the methods and just say, please give me Lambda functions for these seven routes. And then that's it and because it knows that you need them. So it, it could, yeah. Create a construct that has knowledge about what you want to do. Yeah, indeed. So it, it's not generic, but it's not L1. So indeed. That yeah, but I, I think it is really interesting thing. So we, we got a wishlist item out of this and a project to put this into Progen. That sounds like a very productive episode. So yeah, this has really been really great. Um, so where can people find out more about you online? Uh, best place to track me down is probably on Twitter at Matt Bonick. Um, I'm also actively on the CDK Dev Slack server, which you can find at cdk.dev, the link to join the Slack server over there. Uh, when I'm not doing those two things, I'm probably trying to publish some videos of my own on my YouTube channel uh, at Matthew Bonick. And then finally, um, I've got my own website where you can hit uh, some of my blog articles, which are few and far between, but cover a couple of things very CDK related. And that's just MatthewVonick.com. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, folks. That's it for today. I'm Torsten Hugo, and I hope you join me again next time for Cloud Automation Weekly.